everyone. Welcome back to the How Did You Learn to Do That podcast. Thank you so much for all the love and support over the last couple of months. And I'm so excited to get started on a whole new chapter um, and a whole list of guests that are so amazing and so exciting. Um, And I'm excited to offer also some workshops coming up in the fall. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you subscribe to our newsletter list so you'll be the first to know. And in the meantime, I do still have my journaling guide up and I do have the challenge email. So if you want to start committing to yourself and start creating some connections with yourself and understanding what your goals are in life and actually what that life is that you wish existed for you and how to actually get there. Make sure you sign up to my newsletter list and you'll start getting those emails to start doing that work before the workshops. And then I'm excited to have those workshops for you, to get to know you, to connect with you and to learn more about what you need and how I can support you and guide you in that. So today, I actually have an amazing guest. His name is Sam, and I'll have him come on shortly. But he's an amazing motivational speaker, and I'm so excited for you to hear his story. He's so inspiring. He's got so much going on for himself. And, you know, I'm just so excited to have him join me today. And it's such an honor to have him here. I've been following him actually for a couple of years. He teaches at Simon Fraser University, where I did my undergrad. And so I've seen him grow. I've seen his motivational speaks, speeches, and I'm just so excited to have him here and to have you hear how inspiring he is and to be touched by him because he exudes so much passion, so much love, so much encouragement for you. And I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this one. So stay tuned, make sure that you like, and subscribe to us on YouTube as well as follow us on all our social media platforms and like us on our social media accounts as well and share with all your family and your friends and let them know about how did you learn to do that podcast so that they can tune in so they can hear these inspiring stories and they can get started on the journey to their purpose in life. Okay, so stay tuned. Hi everyone. So I'd like to welcome Sam. So Sam is a professional who has created a personal journey as a coach, a speaker, an author, a workshop facilitator, an educator, and an entrepreneur. Over the last 25 years, he has worked with 40, over 45 nonprofit organizations. And as a result, received the Canadian Sovereign Medal for Volunteers and the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal from the Governor General of Canada. He has spent many years in academic administration and teaching at post-secondary institutions and has supported individuals and organizations through keynote addresses and workshops. Whether it is at academic institutions, organizations, or nonprofits, Sam has developed engaging content as an accomplished speaker and TEDx presenter. This has led him to mentor and coach hundreds of young people in life and career. Sam has authored two books. One is about personal storytelling, and his recent book is about his travel adventure to India to seek his ancestral roots with just a photograph and very little else, and in the process, found himself. The book is called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. Sam has his Master of Arts in Leadership Studies, as well as his Higher Education Teaching Certificate from Harvard University, Life Coaching Certificate from Cambridge University, and Adult Education Certification from Vancouver Community College. 
The quote that he lives by is that everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. So thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast, Sam. We're so excited to have you here and to share your inspirational story and journey. Um, and I just, you know, have been following you for several years. And my cousin actually is one of your mentees. So she, I know, has committed to herself and she's created something for herself and she's so passionate about it. So every time I would ask her, you know, how did you learn to do this? She always referenced her mentors of which you were one of the big inspirations in her life so I'm so excited for you to be here and share your story and I'd love to start by asking you what set you on this journey great well first off just thank you for this opportunity to share because that's something that I really do appreciate is the value of sharing and the word sharing is really important storytelling is one directional it's me telling but story sharing is where we both share back and forth. Mm -hmm. But really what set me off on this journey is actually very much like everybody else. My life was, you know, heading in a direction, but I had no control over it and no focus, no purpose, no direction, but just trying to grab whatever's around me to try to make sense of the world. Uh, I was trying to think about what I want to do and you find the most easiest and comfortable things. So when I was in university, the whole idea behind it is you're on a pathway rhythm, but where is it guiding you? I had no idea. Also in university, I was awkward, shy and quiet, a little bit different than where I am now in life. But what I appreciated is the fact that, you know, I've had many obstacles along the way. And it brings back a quote that I posted on my Instagram that obstacles are the necessary roadblocks on my road to success. In other words, I feared them in the beginning. I was worried about my roadblocks or these obstacles. When in fact, what I really should have done was embrace them because they really helped me help guide me to who I am today. The thing that I would say is the fact that, you know, when I was in university, there was this pathway and journey that I was on. I had a you know, degree in business and political science and this whole idea of like, what a great combination. But, you know, who's lucky to get me because with business and political science, like that's a great combination. And I sat at graduation and I told myself when I got up, to go get my degree, I walked across the stage, shook the hands of the dignitaries. But all of a sudden, as I walked off the stage, this transition piece happened because I was no longer part of that academic institution any longer. Mm -hmm. I now transitioned the threshold and this giant virtual door seemed to slam behind me. And I went to grab the handle, but there was no handle because everything behind that door is what I left behind, the classes, my friends, uh, the whole aspect of university life, which I had become so comfortable with. After I went and sat down, I thought, well, I guess I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, which is apply for jobs. So here I am. Uh, back then, this is how old I am. There was no internet. There was no email. You actually had to type, write a letter, <laughs> mail it, or hand deliver it. So I remember I sent out about 10 letters to 
you know, the most common types of organizations saying, you know, I'm looking forward to applying for a job and, you know, hopefully get a chance to speak about my experiences, but I realized my experiences were limited. So I did about 10 of them and I sat back. Well, about two weeks later, a note arrived or a letter arrived. Back then they used to write letters. It said, congratulations uh, on graduating, but you know what, we don't have a job for you. I thought, you know what, that's okay. I still have, you know, nine, 10, 11 letters out there. Somebody's lucky to get me. Well, the next day, another letter arrived saying, we're not sure what job you're looking for, but uh, good luck in your search. And I thought, okay, I, I'm going to send out three more letters. But in the process, letters kept coming back the more I sent out. Well, eventually, my realization was that I started getting this. This is a collection of my letters. These are all my rejection letters. And there's about 83 rejection letters here. 83 times that I was rejected saying, you don't know who you are. We don't have a job for you. Good luck, but somewhere else. And I will admit that every single letter was a nail in my coffin of self-confidence because here you're prescribed this pathway and journey to say, well, get that degree and go out and do great things. I was ill-prepared. The interesting thing though, is I finally did get a job and my first job and I was like, okay, was mopping floors and emptying rubbish bins in a hospital as a janitor. But instead of looking at that as a negative situation, I embraced it. Mm -hmm. And there were three valuable life lessons that I learned from being a janitor in a hospital as my first job. The first lesson was my father said, I don't care what you do. You make sure you do the best job possible because your reputation is on the line. And I'll tell you that no floor was cleaner than at the end of my shift. And, you know, the, the rubbish bins were all emptied out every night. Second valuable lesson. There were times I would get on the elevator with nurses, doctors, and administrators. And I, and I would be ignored because you're a janitor. We have nothing in common. So I know what that feels like. So this is why I talk to everybody. I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're a celebrity. I don't care if they're just entering university or high school. You want to talk to me? I'm going to sit down and talk to you because I know what that feels like. And the third valuable lesson is I could have looked at this from a very negative standpoint and saying, you know, I have a degree on my wall and I should be doing something else <clears throat> because that's what the noise around me said is you wasted your time. But instead I said, what am I going to learn by being a janitor that's going to carry me forward? So in any situation, the third lesson was anything we do, we must reflect and learn from those experiences. Mm -hmm. So think about it this way. If I could pull three valuable life lessons from being a janitor, what lessons can somebody pull from where they are in life? Mm -hmm. Now what's important is, I reflect back on these rejection letters now. And I think to myself, two things. <clears throat> Number one, if one of those letters would have materialized, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. My life would have gone in a different trajectory. Mm -hmm. I now embrace those letters because what I've gotten to do, finding my purpose in life, would never have materialized. 
And the second thing is that I now reflect on all those letters. Many of those companies no longer exist, but I still do. I outlasted those companies. So the fact is that we are very resilient, no matter how difficult the struggle, no matter how challenging it is, no matter how many obstacles are put in front of you, you are going to persevere, but you must go forward in the most authentic, in the most promising way. And understand you're not doing this by yourself. Don't hesitate to pull what I call the champions and enablers. Those individuals who are there to support you, not tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I will share with you is the reason why these letters happen and why I'm on such a crusade of mentoring and coaching hundreds of young people and starting a nonprofit for that reason is the fact that I don't want people to have to go through what I went through. And my realization is those letters had told me I was doing it all wrong because I was focused on what I'm going to do. And I never focused on who I was. There is a, there is a shift and a need in society to really understand who are you over what you're going to do because the who is going to guide you to what you're going to do. Yeah. I think that that, yeah, that is um, definitely resonates with me very truly. You know, I've, you know, from the time I've graduated university to my career, it's been about seven years now. And now I'm kind of at that point where I need to assess what's my next step. Where do I want to go? And I was so lucky that I had the last, you know, from April before April, I had 18 months, you know, off of work, you know, raising my daughter. And I really had that time to slow down over a long period of time. And, you know, a lot of people have this time right now with, with COVID-19, you know, having to slow down and it really shifts their day-to-day work. And so what I got to do in those 18 months is do that assessment, you know, connect with myself and assess, you know, who am I, what brings me joy, what do I want in life? And I think the work I did before and Michelle Obama says this too in her book, in her autobiography, she said that, you know, you become a box checker based on what your parents or society or what you think is expected of you. And that's exactly what I did. I just, you know, my family from a young age said, you have to have a master's degree because we're refugees from Afghanistan. And my family, they all have master's degrees or PhDs. But unfortunately, with being refugees, none, none of that education was recognized here. So they had to start from scratch and they couldn't get their PhDs again. But they, you know, did other careers. But so for them, it was very important that I did a master's degree. So that's exactly what I did. I got my bachelor's degree, I got my master's degree, and I got a job in the government because that's what my family said is what I needed to do. But once I got there, I did a lot of that. You know, I find I did the exact same thing like you did. You know, I had a whole Excel file. We do obviously in my generation now we don't do letters, but I had an Excel file of companies that I applied for, and there was hundreds. But you know, everybody said you're not qualified and and whatnot, and um, and so it does you know hurt. But taking one job or you know the job that it was, I actually only had one job call me back for an interview right out of university, and you know, they, you know, the pay was not that much different from my pay working at a bookstore. But I said, you know what, I'm going to do it because it's going to give me something to look forward to something to build upon. Um, and I just want to experience it. And from that, it's kind of, you know, you ha- I looked at it from the building blocks perspective. 
Um, but yeah, once I did get to that goal and I achieved that goal, I still felt unfulfilled. I still felt, you know, okay, I have a job, it's in management. I'm working at a, you know, at a provincial, uh, government health authority. You know, I feel like I should be super happy at my age doing this, but I just was not happy. Um, and I just was so fortunate to have that time to reflect and really think about what I wanted to do and who I was. Um, and I think that, you know, I realized, and I was reading this recently, like over when I was connecting with myself, I read it as well, that you sometimes know what your actual purpose in life is or where you want to go or who you as a person are, what you're supposed to do. You know that when you're a child, but we move away from that because of these expectations. And for me, being a child, I always loved broadcast. I loved Oprah was, you know, my hero at that time. And I just loved being in front of people to share stories of people, which once I connected back with myself, I realized, you know, this podcast, this platform, this is where my purpose is. This is what I need to do in order to share stories and um, share stories of people like you that are so inspiring. And, you know, I love what you had to say about taking learnings from every experience and not looking at it as, you know, a failure or looking at it as, you know, you need to do something better because you need to just take, take the time to just reflect on what you do and do the best that you can. And, and, um, and once you connect with yourself, I feel like things start rolling along for you. No. And I think added to that is the how, because I think people are like, well, that's great that, you know, you've got that journey and you've had the journey and the realization and all of that, but how can that happen to me? And I wrote a blog post that said, had to do, have to do, want to do. The reality is the first job out of university, corporate culture, pay benefits, none of this is going to matter because you just need a job. You need to get something to nail down experiences. Five to 10 years later, now you're having these conversations of what do I have to do to get to my want to do. But then the other side of it is what we call continuance commitment, which is, there's a mortgage, there may be kids, there may be expenses, and everything is comfortable, but it doesn't satisfy you. It satisfies the financial practical side, but it doesn't satisfy the other side of you. And the, the how you figure this out, which came to me a while back is, and I think this was a turning point for me was, instead of focusing on what I'm going to do, I started saying, okay, wait, wait, wait what's important to me? And I realized that there were five things that were important in my life that I'm not willing to compromise. Now those have shifted and changed over time because we all change over time. Mm -hmm. But even right now, the five things that guide and support me in life, servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, community do-gooder. I'm working on about 10 projects right now, but all 10, actually, I just picked up one more, so 11, uh, hit five out of five. Uh, it's because I now have something to balance it against. So when an opportunity emerges or something comes up, does it line up with those five things? Now, people can do this at any stage in their life. In the class that I teach right now at SFU's BD School of Business in Organizational Behavior, I make every single one of my students write a personal statement in week two and in week 11. Because the idea is 
instead of telling me what you're going to do in the future, tell me who you are. And they tell me how hard this is. So the five core elements piece is something I've established. And when I mentor and coach people, that's one of the first things I will ask them is, what are the five things that guide and direct you in life? Now, don't worry about picking the right five words because these are going to change. Because I think people are sometimes so focused on, am I going to get the right words? But you have to have five. And from that, then maybe a year later, six months later, you suddenly realize, well, wait, I, I'm going to substitute this word. Like in the past, leadership was one of my five, but I thought leadership is too broad. Student development was another one of my five, but that was too narrow. So that's where I went down servant leadership because that's the type of leadership I embody and that I practice. Mm -hmm. So that's much more narrower, but not infinitely narrow. Uh, student development, it's too narrow because I mentor and coach mainly post-secondary institution, young professionals, but even organizations and senior executives. So it was too narrow. So then I thought, okay, champion enabler. That's uh, what I do is I help people discover their pathway. So I think the five core elements for your, for your listeners is a really great way to establish a base and even if you don't hit five out of five where you are in life, let's say you hit two out of five where you are in life, but then think, what am I missing? Can I institute that at work? And if you can't, can I institute that outside of work to satisfy? So it doesn't have to be a five out of five right in that job, but maybe a, a not-for-profit not that you can incorporate some of those things that satisfy you as a whole. And if any of that stuff doesn't, really have to think long and hard that maybe it's time for a change yeah yeah I completely agree I've I've um, actually had somebody earlier on in my career ask me that in an interview you know like who are you and mm -hmm. obviously you start talking about your degree and what your career and what you've done jobs and stuff and then you know she stopped me and was like no I'm asking just about you who are you and it stumped me, you know, because you, how do you, you don't, on your resume, you talk about you as a professional, but you know, there's hardly a time where you talk about yourself as a person or you start creating that, you know, like you said, the five, um, element. elements, yeah. yeah, of the four elements of who you are and what's important to you. And I think that, um, I just did that recently, you know, doing my own mission statement for me as a person and what are my non-negotiables and I've created five and it's, you know, fitness, finances, family, friends, and faith. And those are my five. And, um, and I just heard that from somebody else recently too. And I just feel like that is something that you, we all need to have because that's, those are, that gives us an opportunity to move forward. And I had, um, a guest, um, on my podcast named Ian Stearns and he talks about his why statement, helping him make decisions. And it tells him, you know, he has to, like you said, you have to check back. Does it meet these? And if it does, then yes, I will proceed with this. But if it doesn't, you say no. Um, and I think that's where some people can get stuck in that cycle of saying yes to everything for opportunity or, or for growth, but realizing that it actually takes away more from them than it gives um, or that they're moving away from their true uh, why and their values and their elements versus... Well, nourishing it 
and I've interviewed numerous young people and it goes back to your point because when I've asked them, you know, tell me about yourself. The first thing without a doubt they're going to do is look up to the ceiling. Cause you know what, that's where the answers are. And they look up and they say, well, I'm a hard worker. I work well with people. I'm great with technology. Like they'll give me the standard. But so has everybody else before you told me the exact same thing. So, I want to change that up and then, but what is it that makes you unique and what's your differentiator? Mm -hmm. That's the best part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing. So that gets me to ask you, what's your differentiator? I would really be interested to know. Yeah. So I always reflect back on those five core elements, the, the, the servant leadership, story sharing, activator, igniter, champion, enabler, community, do-gooder, because my realization is those five things, sort of become the, the five things that drive me into what I should be doing. Uh, I think that so often in society we say, well, what are you passionate about? And I always say, it's okay to talk about passion, but purpose is the, is the flame. Purpose is what sustains. Passion is the igniter. You can't sustain passion. But if you can nail down the five things that guide and direct you, as I suggested, as an example, and what that helps you realize is that's your purpose. So I will tell you for probably the last 25 years, I haven't had a job or career. I've had fulfillment because I've been able to have this purpose in life. And my purpose really is based on those five core elements. It guides and supports me. Because as mentioned, you know, I'm a storyteller, speaker, educator, uh, you know, community do-gooder, writer and author. But all of these things guide me in a direction that my purpose is to help people, not young people, not old people, organizations, but to help people be the best version of themselves. I am not there to tell them what to do. I am there to support what they need to do. Uh, oftentimes with mentorship and coaching, because I do anywhere from three to eight mentorship conversations a week. It's been about 5,000 over the last 20 plus years. And I always say people come to me and I call myself the difficult monk because they come to me thinking I sit on top of a mountain with an orange saffron robe. I've got a bit of a beard, but they think of this flowing beard, orange saffron robe. You're gonna come to me and I'm gonna tell you the answer to life. Well, I'm the difficult monk. All I do is I ask questions. Because the monk you're looking for is within yourself. And my job is to ask those questions to help you realize your purpose in life. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But, and it's interesting because people just are like, but it would be so much easier if you just told me what I should do. And I'm like, yeah, it would be. But that's what I'm telling you to do would be what I would want to do. And that doesn't suit you. So let's figure out what's important to you. And it's interesting because I think we talked about it a little bit is we're used to the, what I call the noise around us. The noise around us, society is telling us what to do. People around us telling us what to do and how it should be. And, and you know, there's the cultural aspect and societal. When in fact, there's all this noise, but what's the voice within telling us? And I say that, the horizon that you are going to is not your horizon 
until you figure out the horizon within. Because once you know the horizon within, then you'll be able to get to this horizon beyond. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And actually the, the five, you know, when I was doing this work on myself and I've been doing this for as long as I can remember as a young child, I would always ask, you know, what do I want to do in life? And I would look at people my same, the same age as me. And obviously at that time there was no, you know, I'm not that old, but at that time there really was no internet. Like Facebook started when I graduated high school. So I was honored to have this educate this you know time when i was a child where i didn't have to worry about instagram and facebook and all that and i could just live my life authentically and you know when i would flip these magazines and i'd see these children or these young people that were around my age that were music stars or you know um models or those kinds of or authors you know those kinds of role models that were in these magazines as a child um I used to look at that and think, okay, so they've achieved this dream where they get to be a singer. So how can I do that? And I would, you know, sit in my room and start strategizing how I could do that. And then, but every time I did that at the top was like I said, okay, you can only do that after you finish your master's degree because that's what your grandpa wants. And so now that I'm at that, so when I spent this time over the last 18 months reflecting you know, I pulled out all of those journals and I thought about, okay, what did I want to do when, as a child? And I realized this is what I love to do. And I actually do this, you know, sharing, sharing stories or asking questions. Like you said, you sh I share that throughout my life. And until I was able, like you said, um, frame it. And somebody actually asked me these questions when I was figuring out what my purpose was. And until I got those questions that I really didn't think about, I wasn't able to frame it in the way to know and truly understand what I am supposed to be doing in life. Um, and actually it was Senator Sunny Leonard Ducey. Um, she's, you know, a coach for business marketing. She shared a story about the, the five F's of her family, which I mentioned earlier, faith, finances, family, friends, and um, fitness. And at the time when I discovered, okay, my purpose in life is, to share stories and be a storyteller and bring inspiration to people. Then I heard her five non-negotiables for life. And I thought to myself, you know, I need like, like you, I need elements to help me in living my purpose in life because I need something that allows me to live that purpose. You know, and if I don't take care of my fitness and my health, if I don't take care of my finances, then, you know, like you said, I'll be stuck in a cycle of, being in a position just to fulfill these obligations of financial responsibility. If I don't pay attention to my emotional and spiritual and mental health, then I won't be able to pursue that. And, and that kind of goes with um, all of that. So I've adopted those five elements from her and I've made sure that I continue every single day to honor and nourish those five in order to continue to live this purpose of my life. And I think that that, um, resonates a lot with me with what you've said and um and especially in spending time to connect with yourself and learn about yourself like you said i think that that really then takes you moves the needle and takes you where you need to go well and to your point uh, it's not a matter of holding a compass i always say you are the needle and you have to go in the direction that it's taking you but you're the needle it's not that you're the compass yeah. you're not holding a compass you're the needle and that'll guide you. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. And, and so I'd like to, I'd love to ask you, so 
on this trajectory and this journey, at what point in your life and also how did you learn that this is what you wanted to do with your life and that, you know, how did you get to your purpose and how did you start living that purpose? Yeah, actually very much like the usual noise was guiding me the corporate route. And I think it was about the age of 35 when I broke through this. And it was, it was this unique sentiment and situation. I mean, part of it is I was working in a corporate job six, uh, well, at the five-year mark, I thought, well, I could do this job, but it's really not me. Something was eating going like, I can do it, but I'm just, it, there's something got to be more than that. And I wound up uh, thinking that either I want to go into road safety or human resources based on where I was, which was ICBC. And uh, those are two areas. But what was interesting is people around me said, well, you're not going to get in because they hire specialized people for road safety. And you don't have any experience in that whatsoever. And I said, yeah, well, that's true. Well, the long and short of it is from a point of zero and no experience, but activating that where I wanted to try it out. And it started by me calling the guy in my, my road safety coordinator in North Vancouver to basically say, well, you know, I've heard about this road safety. And he said, well, you know what? I do this myself. I've got an event on a Tuesday in a park. Why don't you come out and help me out? And I thought, perfect. So I went and helped him out. Well, eventually that sparked that passion, that interest. But now I started wanting more of this. But now how do I activate it? And uh, for about a year and a half, I was volunteering my time, the heavy lifting, the hard work, the noise around me said, everybody is just using you because you just keep saying yes to it. You know you're not going to get in. But about a year and a half of all this heavy lifting and hard work of what I, but I was really enjoying it. I got the job in road safety and everybody was like, wait, how did you do that? They don't hire people from within. It's always outside. And then all of a sudden it opened the gate to other people to say, well, I want to be a part of this. So you blaze the trail. Now, I had been in that road safety job now six and a half years. So 13 years in the corporate world. But the thing is, those six and a half years of road safety, I loved. It really made it interesting. It was unique. I could be authentic. I could be organic in what I wanted to do. But the corporation was top heavy. And what they wanted was 850 people out of 6,000 to leave. Now, here's the thing. I love my job. And people were like, Sam, of all people, you're the guy that should stay. You love your job, great wages, great benefits, pension, government job, stability, and all of that together. And if you leave, you don't have a job. You're giving everything up for something that doesn't exist. But there were two words that were really important to me. The f and think of it this way here. I've got my computer screen up. And I've got my cursor down here and a dialogue box that initiates the fact that you're leaving the company. Mm -hmm. I sat there and there were two words that resonated with me. The first word was comfort. Six and a half years of doing something I thoroughly loved. I found that I stopped growing as an individual. It was still good and interesting and everything, but I got sort of bored with it. Mm -hmm. The second word was uncertainty. By leaving, there's uncertainty because I don't have a job if I leave. There's uncertainty if I stay because with 850 people out of 6,000, you know things are going to change and then they may move me wherever they want. 
I control my uncertainty. Nobody else does. And as a result of that, I wound up pressing the button and leaving. And all of a sudden, every single person, 100% of the people around me, family members, uh, friends, coworkers, everybody said, you've just made the biggest mistake of your life. You've just given up what everybody wants. Well, about it. And so I walked to the edge of the cliff. And the interesting thing is, you know, there were all these, this noise saying you made the biggest mistake, but there were whispers of, if you survive, I'm going to do this. Well, for the first month, I just thought, ah, let me enjoy having some time off. I've got a severance package. I didn't look around. And then after that, about a month and a half in, I thought, well, maybe I should start looking around. And there were two places that I was sort of really interested in. The first one was the Olympic bid committee, because that's when it was just starting to get uh, happening. And the other one was SFU. Well, I went in on a Wednesday, closing date was Friday, three interviews later, I'm working on the Olympic bid on a small team of 135 people to bring one of the biggest projects to Canada. And for me, the reason, and this is the why piece, which your friend spoke about earlier, wasn't about money. It wasn't about notoriety. I just said that this is going to unify our country beyond anything I've ever experienced. And I want to be a part of this. Well, three interviews later, I got the job. I did my term there. We won the Olympic bid and oh my gosh, what, what an amazing experience that was. Mm -hmm. I then uh, said, okay, took seven months off because again, severance package and having this job, I thought now I was fairly tired from working on the Olympic bid in a positive way, not uh, tired of the job. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to apply at SFU. And I just remember my director of communications at the Olympic bid, she was called as a reference. And she basically told the people at SFU, you're going to have to hire this guy. He only wanted to work for us and he only wants to work at SFU. He's just going to keep going until you give him a job. So just give him the job. And I've been at SFU now 16 plus years. But here's the thing that's really amazing about this. I left the corporate life 25, about, no, about 22, 23 years ago. It's felt like five years because I've been able to do so many great things in that period of time that I have just thoroughly enjoyed. And I mean, technically right now on paper, I work one day a week, technically, but in reality, I probably work seven days a week, a hundred hours, but none of it feels like work. Yeah. So that's, that's the point where it, the realization of comfort and uncertainty and the fact that now I call myself a career cliff jumper. I'm not afraid because of the people around me, the situations I've encountered. I'm not worried about losing a job, but I'm not saying that with cockiness of like, I'm too good for this. It's just the fact that I think because we've established a really strong foundation, you have that confidence. But I mean, SFU has been a great place to work and uh, the Olympic bid was great. All the projects and initiatives, uh, these are things that I really search for. And I think what I'd like to just bring up is this concept of goals versus intentions. Because I lived in the world of goals in the past. Much like what you were talking about, get a job, get your master's and everything, those are goals. What I realized is goals are very linear. And goals are very absolute. In other words, you have to lay out a plan one, two, maybe three or five years in advance. 
But if you don't know who you are, how can you lay out this linear pathway? What if an opportunity emerges that doesn't line up with your goal? Do you give up the goal or the opportunity? Instead, I live in the world of intentions, meaning I have these intentions. Those are the five core elements. And when an opportunity emerges, I compare it against those five things. So writing is a prime example. Do you realize that six, seven years ago, I wasn't even remotely related to writing? And when I did my first TEDx speech, it sparked this interest in storytelling, and that's how the first book came about. But if it was a goal, I wouldn't be a writer today. Instead, I looked at it to those five things that are really important to me, and all of a sudden, it made sense. And all of a sudden, I wound up pursuing writing. Now I have about 167 blog posts, two books. I'm writing a third book uh, or co-authoring a third book now. But these are things I would never have imagined in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, completely inspired by your story because I feel like, you know, I just recently was in the same boat as you. And like I said, I had worked for a the provincial health authority and a you know i had got my management position i was I designed and developed and implemented an, a provincial program where i was you know flying across the province and you know kind of had that life that i was like oh okay so if you're on a plane every week you there's more value to you as an employee or a professional and you know i had the attention of our senior executives and our board of directors and then my boss said that you know in six months time once this is implemented you'll move into a director position. And, you know, it all sounded so great to me. And I had my own, you know, flexibility, my set my own hours, but th because, you know, I was on my own, I ended up working a lot of hours. And then there was a period, there was a time where actually on my way home, I got into a car accident because, you know, I had, I was so exhausted because I had just been running on this treadmill and I had forgone, like, I just completely forgot about my health, my you know, ability to relax, to look at other things. And at this time, I, I didn't have a child. So I had all, all the free time in the world to dedicate to work. But, you know, I was on my way home one, one evening and I got into a car accident because I was just exhausted and I had just zoned right out and I was not paying attention. And I, you know, it was nothing serious, but I just rear-ended rear somebody. But after that, I think that was the universe telling me that I need to slow down. I need to reevaluate my life. I need to reevaluate my priorities. And I realized at that time that, you know, my time is the most valuable thing to me. It's the only thing we can never get back. I think we can never get our time back. So I said, okay, what am I going to do with this time? And because I've, you know, from a young age, I've lived with this requirement for myself that because my family were refugees, you know, we fled with, you know, like, what you hear in the stories and the movies, you know, we fled overnight. We were, you know, we paid someone to traffic us out of Afghanistan into Pakistan. And then we came to Canada a year later. I was only a year old at this time, but I remember thinking from a young age, once I knew about that, I said, okay, I have to make sure that I don't waste any time in this life because my life, if we had stayed in Afghanistan, either was probably cut short. I would have probably been dead by now or I would, you know, who knows what would have happened to me. I would not have lived a very great life. And, you know, and I do have family back 
in Afghanistan right now and I do compare and I say, okay, I'm so grateful for my life. I'm so thankful for this opportunity. So, you know, having that requirement that that's been my underlying why my whole life. So I had to, you know, I thought I had made my, well, I knew I made my family proud with this, with this position and, you know, all the notoriety that came with it and um, the accolades, you know, because it was, you know, the first program of its kind in BC. But after that accident, I thought to myself, I need to quit. That's what this job is not fulfilling my requirements for myself or who I am. And, you know, I remember telling my husband first and he was like, he's, you know, he's always the proponent of, you know, being a rebel against what everybody else is doing, but do what you want. So he was very supportive. But when I told my parents and my grandparents, they thought I was crazy. And they said, you're never going to get this opportunity. Like, what do you mean you're going to quit? And I said, yeah, I'm going to quit. And, you know, like you said, the question was, what, so would you have another job? And I said, no, I <laughs> just, I'm going to quit and see what happens. And I remember the moment I made that decision, you know, and I had said that I'm going to quit this job. Everyone around me was kind of wondering, you know, what was happening. My boss at the time was wondering if, you know, she offered me a pay raise and I said, no, it's not that. It's just, I need to, I need to leave because this is not accomplishing my goals for myself. And, you know, I was lucky enough that I did end up getting a job offer before my last day of work there. But I remember, and I still think back to that now. And I think, you know, there was a time where I had the poll and I'm having that poll right now too. um, uh, Do I stay for the pension? Do I stay for the title? Do I stay for the trajectory, you know, being able to move up in the company or, um, you know, and stay for the security or, do I leave and start something on my own with uncertainty? And, um, and that's where, you know, I was struggling two years ago and I'm kind of back there now, now that I've returned to work after maternity leave and I'm doing the same thing. I'm thinking, you know, what, what's next for me and what, where do I need to go? And I think that, um, you know, what you shared inspires me because it, you know, just gives me confidence to know that there is, a life where you don't feel like you have to be working, you know, and even with this podcast and this platform, I work 40 hours a week during the week. And I do this afterwards on top of being a mom and trying to keep up with my fitness and all that. And, you know, a lot of people say that's a lot of work. And, you know, I always say to them, I say, yes, I'm going to live in a way that a lot of people will not live for a short period of time so that I could live in the future in a way that a lot of people won't. And that kind of keeps me going and hearing a story like yours inspires me because I feel like I'm on that trajectory right now. And in that place, you know, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, um, and be having that kind of dilemma. Well, what I'll share with you and you've touched upon it is the fact that I'm all about analogies and what I have is an hourglass, right? See, and the thing is an hourglass is a vessel of time. Now, when I turn it this way, the grains of sand are going down below. If every grain of sand represents a day of my life, I can tell you how many grains are below me. In fact, when I did this, it was 21,003 grains of sand when I wrote this blog post. So 21,003 grains of sand sit below me because that's how many days I've lived. But how many grains are above me? One, meaning tomorrow's my last day, 500, 5,000. We don't know what's above us, how many days. 
all I know is every morning I wake up, a single grain enters this narrow chamber. And throughout my day, the people I meet, like you, the, the things I get to do, the, the situations I encounter, adds richness to that one grain of sand. And at the end of the day, when I go to bed, it drops below. Over the last 20 some odd years, I've told myself, I'm not gonna waste a grain of sand because once it's gone, it's spent, I can't. I mean, I sit in a coffee shop and people next to you are talking about how much they either don't like their job or they're talking about ill about someone. And they're, they're not valuing that grain of sand. So instead, I always say that the world is full of problems and I know what the problems are. I'm all about solutions because at the end of the day, what I want is every single grain to be very rich and I'm not going to waste a grain of sand. And this is how I've lived over the last 20, 25 years is not wasting a grain of sand. And it doesn't mean that I live in a rainbow, unicorn, cotton candy, clouded world. I'm a realist. But we all have a perspective on how we're going to deal with situations and how we're going to look at things. So that's why when something happens, and that could be a negative situation, I'm not dwelling on the negative side. I understand what the negative side is, but I'm not going to let, let it consume me. Instead, how do I move forward? How do I become resilient? I mean, and that's why I said, like, uh, uh, I don't look at it from a rosy colored lens that is artificial because I've got two aging parents and they've got health issues. My sibling is 60 years old and he's got a, a severe case of Alzheimer's and under constant care. And I remember my father and I were talking and he said, you know, our, our family used to be, the, the situation was always very happy, but we're not in a happy place right now. And I looked at him and I said, this is our new reality. So I have, to, I have to figure out and deal with what's been given to me. I can't change any of this, but I have to deal with it. And, I, and it's that resilience you bring in and build. So all the stuff I'm doing around me helps me to deal with the resilience of the situations that may not be so nice. So that's where it's a matter of, of the perspectives of how you look at it and not to dwell on the negative, but instead on how you're going to deal with it because I worry about those grains of sand. And at the end of it all, it's an autobiography worth reading is really what happens. So I'd like to share that uh, as a result. Is I think if that helps you. Yeah, and I agree. I think that everybody's unique and everyone's story is unique. And, you know, me personally, you know, everyone that's the closest to me and around me are, are people that have, you know, I actually don't know if I know many people that have had not had challenges in their life. And I actually had one friend and we did this at SFU, you may know the semester in dialogue, which is an intensive inner reflection program. Um, by Mark Winston, who's amazing. And I did that program and I, that was, you know, it, it was so different from any other class I had taken at SFU. And it was kind of the first time that I was able to be myself and showcase myself in my work at school. And so I had encouraged a friend of mine to do the same thing. And one of the first things really is, or, or one of the first things that you have to do is like you said, you have to talk about yourself. You know, what is your story? And she came back to me and said that she had had some feedback on her essay and um, wasn't sure how to move forward. And the feedback was, 
what are the challenges you've had in your life? And she said, well, I've never had challenges. I don't have a difficult, I never had a difficult childhood. I don't have some sad story. I don't have any of that. And I said to her, I said, that's, that's not the definition of a challenge. It's not a sad story. It's not that you have to have gone through something very big in order to have a story of how you overcame something, you know, and, and I kind of was telling her and asking those questions. Like you said, I said, you know, what's something difficult that you've had to do or what's something that you've had to manage. And she finally told me that, you know, her dad still works and lives in, in Iran and she lives in, with her mom and sister in Vancouver. And I said, okay, so what is that? What is that dynamic and how have you learned to live through that? And then she finally realized that that is the part of her story that she never thought was, you know, a part of her story. She had never framed it that way because it had just become ingrained in her and how she was dealing with it. And I think that that, um, like you said, I said, you know, being able to look at your life and figuring out, okay, what, what is the learnings here? How am I going to move forward with this? And what am I going to do? I think is it's key to being able to get out of that um, hamster wheel of, you know, saying, you know, it's like the boy who cried wolf and getting out of that hamster wheel of always feeling bad for yourself. And I just actually finished the magic practice by Rhonda Byrne 20. I don't know if you've ever done that, that 28 days, but she talks about being grateful for, and she, one of the practices actually is, is take a mistake that you've done something that's, you know, been very challenging. That's gone wrong for you and take that mistake or that challenge or that experience and write 10 things that you're grateful for, for that experience. And it was amazing because I thought, okay, this is a mistake. This is not something that didn't go well for me, but what, was I, why was I grateful for that to happen? And, you know, you're grateful because you've learned from that mistake is the biggest one. Um, so I completely uh, agree with what you have to say. No, and to be fair, there may be people listening that are like, but I like comfort and I like, and I want to be in the company for 30, 35 years and have the pension and all of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think we're speaking to uh an awakening of some people who are in that, that it may not fit them. So I just wanted to clarify that it's also important to, to appreciate or say that there's nothing wrong if you feel you want to be in that situation where, you know, you like the comfort and nine to five. My, my wife is like that. Like she loves the stability of Monday to Friday, nine to five, get dressed up, you go and do your job and you meet people and whatnot. And then you come home. And she's told that's her life and that's what she really loves. So I will always say for her, if you want me to go back to corporate, you better take an insurance policy on my life because I will die. So um, in that, in that realm, we are totally different in that. And, you know, I, I have to appreciate and respect it, which I do. So it, it's also important for the people that are listening that it's okay to have that stability and comfort if that's what you really enjoy, but you have to really enjoy it that stability and comfort yeah i completely agree and you know in connecting with yourself and learning about your non-negotiables i think that that you know that may mean that your your time outside of work is very important to you for your soul so you know my sister like you said my sister is like that she has been in this same company for 10 years and she's only 30 so she you know right out of university had a job worked up in the company and she's been there for 10 years. And to me, I'm just like, that would have never worked for me. You know, I, I can't be in the same company for more than three years or the same position for more than three years, just because 
I, I need to grow. I need to move forward. But, um, you know, she loves what she's done and she loves the work that she's doing just now. She's starting to think of moving on, but, um, but before that she just loved it. And that, that was amazing too, because she knew that that was the place for her for that life. And I think that's great. And so what, um, in, in, if somebody is, you know, may not necessarily be thinking of moving, jumping ships from their job to working for themselves or in another company, but, or just people that are looking to stay in the same role, but connect with them deeper. What are some pieces of advice you would give to people to get them started in thinking about how can I connect with myself to understand what my values are and what my elements are in life? Yeah, I mean, part of it is that self-reflection piece. And my first TEDx speech was uh, uh, discovering the extraordinary in the ordinary. We live in the ordinary, but embedded in the ordinary are these tremendously extraordinary experiences when we open our eyes to it. And the five things, I'm all about five, but the five things that sort of guide us for storytelling or discovering that extraordinary in the ordinary is curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, and experience. And I can take anything as I shown with the, you know, the letters or the hourglass, and I've got something else I will share with you to add purpose and meaning to it. So curiosity stops me and I, and I sort of see it as something else. Uh, appreciation is appreciating things, people for more than what they are and reflecting on it to add purpose and meaning to it. Perspectives means because of what you bring as an individual, we all have perspectives and experiences locking it into a story. So it's carpet, curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, and experience. And I guess what I wanna share with you is, uh, I carry with me puzzle pieces. So there's a puzzle piece right there. And the reason I do this is there's two analogies I'll share with you. One directly affects the, that whole concept of, you know, how do I find myself in all of this and uh, move forward? Oftentimes when I teach my class or when I meet people, I've given about 5,000 pieces in the world to date. But what I say is, if I was to give you the single piece of a jigsaw puzzle, what can you do with one piece? Not much. So it, it's ordinary. So part of what I would say is, everybody that I interact with is trying to solve their life puzzle. They want to know what the picture is. So if I came and dumped a 5,000 piece jigsaw puzzle on your table, but I left with the cover, what are you building? You don't know because I've taken the cover away. So think of it from the standpoint of if you've got 5,000 pieces, what a lot of people want to do is take 5,000 pieces and they want to throw it up in the air. And hopefully when it lands and bounces into place, everything, your life is before you, it's all completed. Well, we know that life and puzzles don't work that way. You're gonna to have to build your puzzle piece by piece, section by section. Well, with puzzles, what you do is you sift through it. Maybe you find a piece of a chimney door and a window and you're like, I think there's a house here. So now you start pulling what's familiar, that house, without paying attention to anything else. And you start building the house. Maybe halfway through building the house, you suddenly turn a piece over and you find, well, wait, that's a porthole and that's a mast of a ship, and I think that's part of the bow. So the house isn't done, and you start building a ship. And halfway through building the ship, you start building a car. So our life is in segments and sections, but there's really not an assemblance of order. So instead of what you're, I always say, instead of trying to solve your life puzzle, 
Instead, what I say is this single piece that I give, instead, I want you to start finding the people, the situations, and experiences that connects sections of our puzzle together. Because oftentimes we have these segments and sections, but when you're building a puzzle and you find that one piece and you're like, actually that connects two sections together, now it starts to make more sense. So I want people to go through life looking for, and uh, not solving their life puzzle, but start looking for the people and those situations and experiences that start connecting and making sense of their world. The other analogy, which I think is really important, especially during COVID-19, is this is what people feel like. They feel like a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. They don't know where they fit in. They don't know how they fit in. And the idea is it's ordinary. And I magically transform it before their eyes into something that's extraordinary. And I've actually seen physical transformations in the face when I share this with them. Because I say, you're so focused on this is what you are and who you are. Instead, I want you to focus on a satchel. This is where I hold my puzzle pieces. Do you realize that if I give you a piece of my puzzle, do you realize my puzzle will now be permanently incomplete without you? I can't finish it. Do you realize how important you are to me now? And I need you to be a part of my puzzle so that it can be completed. And that's where I see this transformation. And what I value and love about this is, I've heard back from people years later, it's taped to their mirror. And it, they say, it reminds me someone told me I'm valuable and that I matter. It's in curio boxes. It's in wallets. They see me at events and they pull it out of their wallet saying, look, I still hold on to your puzzle piece. It's a simple idea that I think, again, adds so much value is the fact that whoever's watching this podcast and listening is you are part of something bigger. So don't live small and don't think of yourself as that singular piece of a jigsaw puzzle. But there are people who are part of your puzzle, who are there to guide and support you. And the fact is we all need each other to, to help us as individuals to get where we need to go. And I've relied on the voices of other people, not the noise, but the voices of other people to support me because they're not telling me what to do, but they're there to guide and support. So it's all about the puzzle analogy and remembering that you are part of something bigger. Yeah, I, I love that. And you must, you know, you, you're, you must love when people pull out that puzzle piece and they say that you've had that impact and that the, you, you, you know, they are a part of your puzzle. And I think that that is ama an amazing analogy. And I love that, you know, you can carry that around with you and know that you're, you know, a piece of a bigger puzzle, a bigger piece um, and you're invaluable. And without you, things can't, it can't be completed. And I just, I love that. And I think that, you know, it resonates with me so well because you need, you know, it just teaches you that you are so valuable in this world and there's so much you can offer and only you can offer that. And, you know, I know a lot of people that say to me that I don't really know what I could offer. Everybody's, everybody's doing this or everybody's doing that. There's enough of these people and those people. And I always say, but there's no one like you Exactly. You're the only one. So um, yeah. believe in yourself, believe that you can do this and that you are able to do this. And, um, and it's kind of amazing because you see the ripple effect when you start believing in yourself. And, yep. you know, and when I started this platform, I actually didn't tell my family and my friends until I did it. Um, 
A, probably because of my own fear of, you know, I don't know if I am going to do this. I don't want to tell people I'm going to do it and then not do it. But um, B, I just wanted to them for them to organically find it and let me know what they think. And it's amazing because once I did that, I've, I've had people connect with me and tell me things that, you know, I've known them for a long time. They've never told me that at all. And my sister, for example, is a very private person. She doesn't speak of her, um, you know, her thoughts, her feelings very openly with anyone, I think. Um, but then she's connected with, told me, you know, on my birthday, I think I shared a, a story on Instagram about how, you know, prior to doing this work, I always felt a lot of pressure around my birthday to host a party for everybody. You know, who am I going to invite? Are they going to have fun? And it was more about other people attending my birthday. And there was this, this expectation that I felt for hosting this. And with COVID-19 and also doing this work, I realized I can actually, you know, this year I realized I could do what I want for my birthday. I don't have any expectations because even if I had a party, I can't invite anybody. <laughs> but for the first time, I realized that I'm okay, you know, to spend some time just with a few people that are really close to me and just take time to reflect. And I had the best birthday ever this year because I let go of that expectation and I focused on myself and what I wanted to do um, for myself and my sister who was born a year and four days after me. So our birthdays are, are only four days apart. She, you know, is, has a larger expectation than I do of her birthday and what to do and whatnot. And she always has three to four day parties or it spans the whole month. And she actually told me, she said, you know what, after I saw your story, I tried, I, I tried to do that too this year for my birthday. And I realized I actually had a lot of fun. And, you know, for her, COVID-19 and the, the lockdown actually was an amazing thing because it let her slow down. And she's one of these people that does not slow down. And, um, and I feel like she's, for the first time, she's starting to listen to herself and her soul and she is starting to open up. And, um, and I love it because I just feel that, you know, if I can inspire her through these stories and everybody can inspire her and yourself, you inspire, you know, you've inspired 5,000 and more people. But um, it's amazing to see these ripple effects and collectively, we're all better for it. No, and I think, uh, and you said this, but when I wrote my first book, right in the very beginning, prior to all of the concepts and ideas on personal storytelling, there's a quote that I put down that I made up, which was, and it, it's a real, it's a real quote that I, that I lived, uh, which was, there's fear in me writing this book because of what people may think. The bigger fear, what if I don't do this? Yeah. So that was so important to me. And the first line basically in the book says, you know, what's the, what's the last story you read? What's the last story you told? What's the last story that you lived? And the, the living part, that's the one that people don't capture. You can read it, you can tell it, but what's the last story you lived? And it doesn't have to be this epic, like my second book, which was about my journey to find my ancestral roots with just a photograph, very little information and uh, not being from India. But, uh, it, it can be, you know, somebody who's overcome cancer. That's your, that's your adventure and that's your story. It's powerful. Or somebody who may have gone through a divorce or, you know, 
graduating from post-secondary institution and the, the challenges, that's all an autobiography and a journey that needs to be shared. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I, I love that. And I, I, as you were saying that, I was like, okay, I know the story and I read, I know the last story I've told. And you're like, what's the last story that you've lived that stopped me? Because I was like, oh, I, I don't actually know. Um, and I think that that's, you know, just resonates with everything you've shared about just connecting with yourself and living your story and knowing what that story is and, you know, focus on yourself. And I think that, and I do actually, um, you know, think that this time where we've had to slow down is a blessing in disguise in allowing a large majority of people to just take some time for reflection, take some time to go back to doing those things that brought you joy. And I actually, since May have spent, you know, now three months almost looking for a bicycle because, you know, I have time so I can go on a bicycle ride and I wanted to get a trailer for my daughter, but there's no bicycles anywhere and there's no trailers anywhere. And part, part of that is because, you know, the uh, manufacturers had closed down as well. But the other part is that people reconnected with this activity that brought them joy. And so I see so many people out running and exercising and going for bicycle rides and rollerblading and everything. And it's because we're moving back to that time now where we're, we're making time for that, making time for leisure and activity. Well, and I wrote a, a post on my website, but I also on LinkedIn. And I just said that due to COVID-19, there is a need to care. Now, as you can tell, I do a lot of acronyms, but care stands for collaboration. So that we, there is such a need for us to collaborate with each other. You, you can't do it by yourself. A is adaptability. Um, it, you have to be changing on the fly with whatever's happening in the environment right now, which we've never encountered. We have to be adaptable. R is resilience, meaning we know that this is a marathon. It's not going to be over in a week, two weeks, three weeks. It's a marathon. So build that resilience in. And the last one, which I think is extremely important, is empathy, which is the E. We need to show care and compassion to the people around us. So it's a collaboration. It's about adaptability, resilience, and empathy. And that's how I've been able to work my way through COVID uh, because of this. And that, that's what I share with people is we have to care and, and using that methodology. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that, you know, that's so true. And I, I, I work in public health and I am working on the COVID-19 response actually right now. And when I go to work and I hear, you know, the background of what's going on and then I come out of that and then my family and my friends ask me, okay, so what's the plan? Should I book this trip? Should I do this? Should I do that? And I just look at them and I say, just live your life today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And it all depends on how we as a collective work and what do we do collectively that will impact how quickly we can move from this pandemic or how long we have to stay in the pandemic. And I think that this is a great, you know, the pandemic is a great analogy for actually how collectively we can work together to get through to, through something. And if you work as an individual in this instance, it's not going to work. You actually would be doing more harm to the collective yeah. and good. And I think that that, you know, I think, and I hope actually that a lot of people have gotten to this place now where we can slow down and understand and really work through this together. Uh, we have, you know, we're able to do this together. 
No, and I think what's also, as I mentioned very before this uh, podcast and whatnot, is the fact that, I mean, people may be wondering, like, look at his background. It's, you know, where is he? And the, the, but the reason is I could have found a nice background, but it would have been a bit more difficult because my house is under renovations right now. But the other thought is, but this is what I would say I'm, it, the renovations is very reflective of me because I'm ever changing and, uh, you know, there are things that need to be fixed and there are, you know, whole gaps and holes and, uh, you know, I'm not going to hide behind what's going on and, uh, you know, that uh, this is a reality. And uh, so this is part of the reason why people may be wondering, what's, what's this behind him? I, I just chose to say, you know what, this is very reflective of what my life is, is ever changing, ever building, ever evolving. Um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, hide and uh, say, you know, with a background that's beautiful to say, here's what my life is. I think this is very reflective of that. So. Yeah. yeah, I think that's amazing. And I absolutely love everything you've shared. And it's such an inspiration to hear your story of how you've committed to yourself and taking the small daily actions every single day to, to really live your purpose and live what you define as your non-negotiables and the life that you want and created this life that you wish existed for yourself. And, you know, I will wrap up the conversation yes. by just asking a, a key question you know, life gets challenging, it gets hard for all of us. So when life gets tough, or you start questioning what what is going on in life, how do you self reflect and maintain that positive mindset? How do you actually work through and align yourself back to your five elements and what you're doing in this life? I think part of it is because you've, if you've established a solid base to work from, uh, anything that penetrates or comes towards you, you sta- you're standing your ground because you have a very firm understanding of who you are. The other part that layers into that is that whole hourglass analogy, is this understanding that I have a choice to make today. I can let whatever happens destroy me or ruin me or negatively impact me, or I can choose to handle it in a different way that I think would be more constructive. And I choose to reflect on it in that regard is I am not going to let anyone or any situation dictate how I'm going to react to it. That's my choice. But I think if you build that solid base to work from, whether it's the five core elements or something that helps you and or a mentor or a coach that you have, somebody who's there to support you along the way. I think that uh, that's how you can build that resilience in because there is a need in making sure that you, number one, look after yourself, look after the people around you. Because I always use the analogy of when you're in an airplane and that mask drops, they always say, put the mask on yourself first, because if you can't look after yourself first, you can't help the people around you. So I have to be strong. I have to be confident in where and who I am. And it's up to the people to decide if I'm worthy. And I always say this, and I, and I sort of share this and leave this with you as well, is the fact that oftentimes there's people seeking this title of leadership. I don't seek the title of leadership. Leadership is not a place to be leadership is a lifestyle 
And whoever you are as an individual, there are people that will give you the title and you are worthy of that title and you will be followed. And others who will not. So all, all combined, I think it's, it's try not to seek out the notoriety and the status. Be authentic and true to yourself. Appreciate what you bring to the world because that's what really matters. And even in that small world, I always say, instead of trying to change the world through your eyes, change the world through the eyes of the people you support and help. Because if they see the world differently, you have changed the world, but not through your eyes. Yeah. So I leave you with that. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I, I you know, love that, that quote. And I love that analogy that you do. What you do does, you know, it does move beyond you. And you do, you know, and in the magic, she actually says, you, you sprinkle your magic dust on people. And, you know, you, as you go around, you start sprinkling and you leave magic on people. And I think that that, you know, is amazing. And I think that working towards your own goals, you're helping other people work towards theirs. And, um, and I think that that's inspiring. And, you know, I absolutely loved having you on. I love everything you share. And, um, I will share Sam's website and LinkedIn and social media handles on the blog post and link show notes, as well as on YouTube and on the Spotify platform and Apple podcasts as well. So thank you so much for spending time with me today and sharing your story and being such a source of inspiration for me and for everybody listening today. And thank you for what you're doing because you are supporting change and, and helping people as well. So I appreciate that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the end of that episode. I hope that you're so inspired and so motivated and encouraged by the story that Sam has shared. And I know that I absolutely loved connecting with him and had the honor of having him on this podcast. And I'm so excited for you to connect with him, to follow him along on his Instagram at Sam Thiera, T-H-I-A-R. And I'm so excited for you to learn about all the amazing things that he's doing. You can connect with him on his website, which I'll link on the show notes. And if you have any questions, you can connect with me and let me know and I can pass it on to him as well. If you could like and subscribe to us on YouTube, that would be amazing. And if you could follow us and like us on all social media accounts to help us grow, to continue to share such inspiring stories with you of people in your community that are doing amazing things. And with that, if you have anybody that you would like to nominate to share their story and who you're inspired by and want to know how they learned to do that, please send me an email, info at how did you learn to do that and let me know. And in the meantime, I would love for you to take time to connect with yourself this week. I would love for you to continue to work towards your goals because remember, your life is yours and you have the ability to actually catalyze that from ordinary to extraordinary but it all starts with you it starts with you making that commitment to yourself and making sure that you are achieving your goals and making yourself a priority okay so we'll see you next week for another great episode bye